Hey, I'm Edward Schuler, and welcome to Bulls Gold here on Nothing But Net Radio. As always, joined by Salim Surawala. Salim, how you doing? I'm doing great. I just, uh, you know, excited that the Bulls finally were able to hold on to a fourth quarter lead. Um, yeah. They kind of gave up a double digit lead a little bit, and then you thought maybe something was going to happen like it normally does with them. But yeah, you know, they were able to hold on. I think you're probably seeing Zach get a little more comfortable playing with a guy like Vooch, who, who since his many days, and obviously Zach's game has elevated to another level since his many days too, but he never he hasn't had that type of uh, teammate before that demands that kind of offensive um, usage and just even that type of attention. So like you said, you know, it, it's it's a time it's a process to gel. And I think he might, he might be getting a little more comfortable there. He's looking like he's getting healthy too mm-hmm. uh, with his ankle. So, but yeah, I think it was, it was nice seeing them. Like I said, uh, to get back is to, to hold on for that win and, and finish strong. Yeah. They were able to close out this game against the Brooklyn Nets, 115 to 107. Uh, we saw some really encouraging signs again with the Levine and Vucevic uh, pairing. And like you said, like teams have to guard, Zach Levine a little differently when he's running pick and roll with Vucevic like when Vucevic can like pop like you can't always like the the big always has to like stay with him otherwise you're giving up a wide open three to a pretty good shooter in Vooch so uh it's it's definitely a different uh approach for uh defenses and Zach Levine is going to get more like one-on-one looks like headed towards the rim so that's good to see so we're going to break down the Bulls uh breaking their losing streak against the Brooklyn Nets and we're also going to talk a little bit about some of the uh, rotations Billy Donovan is doing post-trade and I also want to get uh, our guest thoughts on just the trade in general and how it's impacted the team so far. I mean, it was so many moving parts. So uh, helping us make sense out of everything and returning to uh, Bulls Gold, he covers the Bulls for NBC Sports Chicago, Rob Schaefer. Rob, thanks for coming back and joining us, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it's always a good time. And fresh off the Nets game, we got uh, we got some positives to break down. There haven't been a lot since the deadline. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of good things that happened in this game. Uh, just looking quickly at the box score, uh, Zach Levine finishing with 25 points, 5 assists. Vooch finishing with 22 and 13 in 32 minutes. Uh, Sadaransky with 19 points and 11 assists. Uh, one of his, uh, probably his best game of the season. And uh, also some good defense as well from uh, Troy Brown Jr. off the bench. Uh, he has six points and seven rebounds, and we saw him uh, guarding a few different players, guarding Kyrie Irving, and just looking really impressive. Uh, Daniel Tice also having a really good game as well. So, uh, Rob, what was your uh, takeaway from this game with the Bulls getting off the snide, getting their first win with all of these new players? Because, I mean, it, it felt like fans were kind of losing a little bit of patience and in terms of what we were seeing on the court, lost some really tough games to some really good teams, but they were able to get this win against uh, Brooklyn today. Yeah. My biggest takeaway was just that it was a much needed result, right? I think anybody who thinks critically about how things have gone since post-trade deadline can understand the losing streak getting to the point that it did. Obviously the competition out of the deadline from Spurs to Warriors and Steph's first game back to Suns and Jazz, who are the top two teams in the Western Conference, all on the road as you're integrating five new players and, as I'm sure we'll get to, a whole new play style. It's not just changing faces on the roster. It's the Bulls going from a team that the problem for a lot of the season 
seemed to be that they were a little bit undersized in the front court and that, that they, their backup options or their reserve options at the center and power forward spot were a little inconsistent or unreliable. Now they almost have too many bodies uh, at those spots and they've had to really shift the style of play entirely. So it's been a lot to adjust to. It's been uh, a lot of traveling and back and forth and road stuff and obviously tough competition. So you can understand it, but at the same time with what this trade signaled, which was a desire to win and to win now um, and to compete and get up into the playoff picture, uh, it was definitely a win that they needed. So that was my biggest takeaway. And then in terms of just the on court uh, basketball things that went on. Uh, I just think the offense is starting to gel and mesh in a way that you can see how it's going to work. You can see how it's going to be prolific, especially the Zach Vooch pairing. I think they had 29 assists today. Uh, we're operating a lot uh, out of the post and through their, through their big guys, which is obviously just how this team is going to have to run without a true point guard. Um, and the, I mean, honestly, maybe even the most uh, optimism inspiring part of this whole thing is they're still not really shooting the ball well yet, or at least to the degree that they were at the beginning of the season, they came out of the gates so hot, you knew it was going to regress, but over the six game losing streak, they were, I think, 26.6% from three, which was last in the NBA in that span. Even today, they climbed up towards 35 or 36%, which is fine. It's improvement. Uh, but Zach and Vooch combined to go two for nine together. So even though they both had pretty good games in my estimation. So I think it was just an all around pretty encouraging win. You could poke holes in it with the Nets being shorthanded without James Harden, but you know, they blew out the Hornets the other night without James Harden too. So it's not like they're an opponent to be taken lightly and the bulls bounced back from what I thought was a pretty uh, unimpressive start considering the Nets were shooting so poorly at the beginning and they, then the bulls still trailed by three um, at the end of the first quarter. Uh, they come out, they blow the doors off of them in the second quarter, build that kind of 10 to 15 point lead. They flirt with giving it away, uh, but stave off the Nets runs. Uh, and thanks to, you know, a couple different con- uh, uh, contributions from different guys uh, that you mentioned, Edward. So um, I think it was just kind of an all-encompassing good result. It's good to see the, you don't want to take moral victories, but it's good to see them, you know, competing and hanging with Phoenix and Utah and playing a little bit better defensively and starting to have the offense come along. It's good to see that actually culminate in a win so that you can really have wholehearted positive takeaways from it. And I think it sets the table now for a month of April where they'll have a lot of games that aren't necessarily likely wins because, you know, who knows with this team or with the randomness of the season, but they've got a stretch coming up here for over the next couple of weeks, where they'll play a lot of teams near them in the Eastern conference. And they'll have a chance to, uh, to really make ground towards being the team that they want to be. Reading your article, one of the ones you wrote about the acquisition right after the game of Nikola uh, Vucevic and Billy mentioned uh, the effect on the team. And in particular, Patrick uh, Williams with obviously with that and, Vooch and Thies and Larry also being bigs out there that play. And Patrick, a lot of times, what he's done, some games more so, not as much today, he didn't do, but slashing, you know, to the basket, kind of cutting uh, off the, off the, maybe the weaker side. What, what is something that you've seen in today's game um, as far as his ability to be aggressive and try to not kind of, you know, fade away into the the background with addition of Vooch and obviously Zach being there and then Thad being incorporated in and obviously all these other moving parts. Yeah, it's a great point. I, I think the, that one of the guys that I think we could have at the beginning, you know, when, the, when we were first reacting to the trade, you just assume that a deal like that's going to make everybody uh, on the team better. And it was kind of a matter of let's get into the games and see how it actually looks in practice. And I think Patrick Williams, I think today he had, 11 points. He was quiet through the first three quarters, 
But then in the fourth, you saw him really getting downhill, moving off the ball, cutting, get eight points in the fourth quarter and, and drew a foul or two in there too. I think he's been a massive uh, benefactor from the Vooch acquisition so far, and he should be moving forward because as much as uh, Patrick Williams has flashed these elements of his game that, uh, that he can get to his spot, create his own shot, hit that pull-up uh, mid-range jumper, um, there, there are aspects to his game where you can see you know, the passing. You can see the self-creation potential in him, but at this point in his career, he is just an assist-dependent player. Um, you know, there are times when he's more of a floor spacer kind of spot up shooting from the corners where he shoots a lot better than from above the break. Um, there are times when that's cutting off of, um, a guy like that or a guy like Vooch. Now you add another facilitator like that. Even Daniel Tice, I think is a pretty good passer. Um, he flashed that in his debut. Um, it's just, it opens up a lot of avenues uh, for Patrick. And I asked Billy Donovan about that a couple of games ago, pregame. And he pushed back on the idea that Patrick isn't necessarily aggressive enough. Um, but it's just a matter of getting him the right types of opportunities because he is such a smart player. He's not going to, you know, take low efficiency shots, although he does take a lot of long pull-up twos. Um, he has a pretty good success rate with him, and he he picks his spots pretty selectively. Like, you can you can tell that just watching him. And, uh, yeah, Bill, Billy seemed to think it was more a matter of just him having more avenues and opportunities as opposed to him needing to put his head down and try to run through a brick wall with it. And I've just seen a lot more lanes open up for him since uh, the trade happened. Um, Obviously that happened late in the game today, but um, it's certainly encouraging for him because, and Billy even said this, there was a point post all-star break where he had that current night against, it was either Toronto. I think it was Toronto uh, where he had 23 points. But other than that, it was kind of, he was a little bit translucent offensively on a night to night basis. And ever since the trade, he seems to have gotten a little bit of a boost. Um, And obviously that goes along with all the defensive stuff that he brings, even at such a young age. So I thought late in the Nets game, you saw those off ball principles that he has uh, added to his game and and featured more lately. And he stands to be someone that can just benefit, I think massively from this moving forward, as well as even a guy like Kobe, you know, when he's back and healthy, just because of, you know, his, his proficiency in in catch and shoot scenarios, that's kind of his most comfortable spot at this point, it seems like. Um, So there's a lot of people that stand to benefit from it, but Patrick at at timely moments tonight, it seemed like he, uh, or today, uh, came up big uh, in terms of his cutting and things like that. And hopefully you see more of that going forward because when he's involved offensively, it it changes a lot about what this team can do. And it it, it really flashes what he could be long-term when you pair that to all the other elements of his game. Let me, let me preface this by saying that like in the last like few shows, I've been just like frustrated with seeing like even before the Vucevic trade, I was just frustrated with seeing like just so many young players like making mistakes at the same time. And I get it because like this is an evaluation season. That was the expectation. So like the fact that we actually have like more veterans now on the team, like really pleases me a lot. But we acquired Troy Brown Jr. at the trade deadline and he's 21 years old, I believe. And he got to play a lot against uh, Brooklyn, I think about 27 or 28 minutes. And we mentioned it a little bit earlier. And his his minutes have kind of been like in and out, it seems like. It doesn't seem like he has a clear-cut role yet. But in a game like today, we see the value where he can play multiple positions. He can guard multiple positions. And I liked seeing the lineup with... Uh, with Troy Brown and Patrick Williams, I think Pat was at the four and I think Vooch was uh, at, in the game at the five, Levine and Sato in the backcourt. And I liked having like, that defensive versatility. So what do you think about Troy Brown Jr. since the Wolves have acquired him? And do you get a sense from Billy Donovan that it's really just a matter of time before he's kind of like a lock in the rotation? Or do you think maybe his minutes are going to come and go depending on the matchup or 
if Denzel Valentine just like messes up, I guess, or I don't know. <laughs> no, or, or when. Yeah. Um, no, but with, uh, with Troy Brown Jr., I mean, I've loved everything I've seen. It's been small doses, obviously, and it's been a lot of late game. I, in his debut, he didn't come in until that Spurs game was basically out of reach, and he had a couple nice moments. I think it's still a little too soon after the trade to make like a prediction or read tea leaves in a concrete way about the rotations. Cause Billy was just talking about this today, like with Garrett Temple out for the last few games. I mean, it's almost easy to forget how mm. uh, much of a linchpin he's been on the perimeter, especially defensively. Like the bulls just haven't had their wing rotation fully intact since the trade, uh, especially with Kobe in and out uh, Zach missed a game, uh, which is, you know, for both of those things uh, for both of those guys, that's a rarity. So I, I, I guess we could see where the dust settles on Troy Brown Jr. You know, Billy's not going to get into the, you know, what a game like the Nets game means for him moving forward because he doesn't like to tip his hand like that, which I understand. And with Billy, the other thing about him is he's so fluid with his rotations. He's kind of willing to ride the hot hand. He's willing to go with a guy that he trusts in a given matchup or a guy that he trusts on a given day. Um, like even today when Denzel uh, had that behind the back pass attempt where he committed <laughs> the charge on the fast break and Billy just yanked him out of the game immediately uh, for Arch. And Arch hasn't really been in the rotation for the last few games, but that just shows kind of on the fly, Billy is really willing to, I guess you could call it being adaptable or just like make quick decisions and make quick adjustments like that. Um, and I think Troy Brown Jr., he's just got to keep putting together performances like the one uh, he did today. It obviously wasn't perfect, but for what this team needs, which is to me, like if you're building a team around Zach Levine and uh, Nikola Vucevic, and obviously this isn't a finished product, like more will happen this offseason, but if you're building the most optimal lineups with those two guys, like you want really active, engaged, kind of tenacious, wingy perimeter defenders. And Troy Brown has flashed the ability to be that. Um, that's what he said post game. And he seemed really loose and happy post game because he did get the opportunity to come in and, and contribute in a big way where early in the season with Washington, it, the, the more you hear about him talking about his role in Washington, it just seems like there wasn't a clear line of communication between him and the coaching staff about what his role was or what he needed to do to get an increased role. Um, tough log jam there with them drafting Denny and he's not the most proven outside shooter. You've got a guy in Westbrook who, you know, if you're going to build optimal lineups around him, you need shooting. Um, the bulls have a, a decent amount of that. So I, I think there's a spot for him. I I've all, I've wanted to see more of him since the trade deadline. Um, but understand to your point, Edward about the veteran thing, like the bulls, there are just times in these games, especially in late game scenarios where you need vets that you trust out there. And it seems like Billy Donovan is the type of coach that, you know, knows who he can rely on or, or kind of has, has a vision of that. Um, but to see George Brown Jr. Not only play uh, heavy minutes total today in the mid twenties, but also close the game mm. and play uh, really defining minutes there. Um, it's certainly encouraging for him. Again, he seems super loose after the game. I, I think he just brings a lot in terms of screen navigation and just competing defensively uh, on the perimeter and at the point of attack uh, that this team could really use. It's just a matter of, can he be useful enough offensively? Um, can he, you know, bring his uh, shooting percentages from three-point range up to where they were in the second season, as opposed to where they were um, earlier this year in Washington. Um, and just kind of, is there a place for him? I, I'll be very fascinated to see what it looks like when Temple and when Kobe uh, are back. Um, but, you know, it'll just, it'll be interesting to see because you just start stacking these names up and it's like, Billy doesn't want to go nine or 10 deep or more than nine or 10 deep on a nightly basis. So you just kind of run out of spots at a certain point. Um, but you know, when you look at what he was able to do today, he kind of does have a skill set that is lacking on this roster outside of Garrett Temple. And for a guy that's 21 and a guy that you already have under contract for next season in an evaluation year, although it's kind of shifted more towards it seems like, you know, push for the playoffs year. I, I'd just be curious to see what they have in him uh over a larger sample size. And 
Um, you know, I, I don't know if Billy will get there, but uh, if he does, it'll certainly be interesting to watch. It's interesting with the obviously we talked about the changes in the lineup and everyone needing to adjust roles changing and biggest role change has been with Mari, who's not only coming off the bench, but Billy plays him at the three often now. Uh, a lot of his minutes come from the three. He's not really even a backup big anymore. But uh, <laughs> that's what, like, my ideal role for Larry going forward, and it's, I don't think obviously he'll be on the Bulls, but in this league, I think he's probably a solid scoring backup, you know, four off the bench. Um, I almost feel like this putting him at the three is doing him a bit of a disservice, but it's an interesting, you know, fit there. How, how have you seen him adjusting to that role and, do you, what what do you think his response has been like? Do you like even in uh, post game when you guys interview him and things like that? Yeah, I mean, the, in terms of the post game thing, the most ready readily available example in my head is after the the game that he started. That was the Suns game, I believe. Um, yeah, where he was basically just, I still see myself as a starter in this league eventually, but I'm going to do what the coach said or what Coach Donovan says or whatever. I I've always trusted him. So, you know, Lowry continues to say all the right things and the Bulls continue to, to say all the right things about Lowry, um, almost to a point where I think they're bending it a little bit in terms of what, you know, his his performance or what his um, on-court display has been. Um, you know, him off the bench has been kind of up and down. I mean, what you need is just a spark plug and you need floor spacing from him. At the three, I was almost kind of bewildered when I heard Billy Donovan say that the other night. He said, we just hadn't gotten a chance to see Lowry at the three yet this season. And I was like isn't there a reason that 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 hasn't been a look that you've seen? I mean, I'm just surprised that that was something that he even wanted to try out to Billy Donovan's credit though. Those lineups have actually not been, and I haven't charted them to their entirety. They haven't been like a total unmitigated disaster. I mean, they got off to a fast start in that Suns game. There was a moment, there was like a minute long spurt in the Nets game today where they went on a little six Oh run when it was uh, uh, Sadoransky and and Troy Brown jr. In the backcourt. So you know, I, I just think Lowry at the three, the problem is just defensively, he's not a guy that's going to be able to hang on the perimeter with guys. I mean, he was having trouble with wingy fours. I mean, to have to to, to slide him back a position uh, to, to guarding um, guys that are twos or threes. Um, it's just going to be really, really tough for him. Another uh, kind of ripple of the Vucevic and all the acquisitions at the trade deadline is, you know, like I was saying earlier, the Bulls are just a bigger team now. Uh, they're 19th in pace since the trade deadline, whereas they were eighth before. So it, it seems like they're kind of shifting towards a more slow it down style and kind of get out on the fast break and be opportunistic when they can. Um, and as a result of that, I think like today, Lowry, he didn't have a gaudy stat line. I think he had eight points and five rebounds, but he did do some nice things attacking mismatches in the post and kind of trying to score over smaller guys. He, he did well in that respect and he has flashes of doing that. I'm just not sure that that's something that Lowry Markinen wants to do. I mean, I'll be curious the next time we talk to him, maybe we could even ask him this like if that's his ideal vision of kind of where he sees his game as getting down and dirty and doing things like that. Um, so I guess I'll be interested to see how that develops, but those are the main things I've noticed is just defensively, it's going to be a struggle offensively. It's been a little bit more dependent on his ability to get downhill, get inside attack mismatches and things like that. And like I said, he did a good job of it today, but I'll be curious to see um, how it develops, but it is a situation where you have him and Tice coming off the bench and given how much you're getting out of Thad and Vooch and honestly, given how good Tice has looked, you it's, it's obvious. It's widely reported that the Bulls were looking to shop Lowry at the deadline and looking back on it, it's hard not to be like, man, if they could have made him 
you know, a serviceable point guard or a serviceable wing defender option, like how much more neatly that would fit into this team. Um, so, you know, but he's got a big restricted free agency period coming up for him. And all he can really do is put his head down and play as well as he can in that role and try to maintain the value um, that he was displaying at the beginning of the season. Mm. Um, and it's kind of obviously fallen off since then. So Lowry at the three, I mean, it'll probably continue because again, the lineups haven't been horrible, horrible. Um, they've, you know, obviously won today and maybe they can string together some, some success here, but I am skeptical that it is a good position at all, uh, to put him in, especially defensively though. The problem with Lowry is I'm sure you guys have talked about, I've talked about is it's kind of hard to find what the position is for him, uh, defensively. And that casts a cloud over everything, even without the offensive concerns. So, uh, mm. yeah, it, it'll, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to watch how he continues to respond to that. It's almost kind of awkward though, right? Like. Lowry was they were they were clearly shopping Lowry before the trade deadline and yeah. I mean Grant I have nothing to support this but I mean I wouldn't even be surprised if Lowry's people were like hey you know let's let's get a trade too maybe they were quietly kind of like expecting and hoping for one too because it seemed like there wasn't really a role especially post Vucevic trade right and we we know the Bulls could use a point guard as well. We know that they wanted Lonzo Ball. So I, I guess the thing for me, even before, like even with this losing streak, I was kind of looking at these games as like, yeah, I would like to see the Bulls, you know, get the play-in game now. But it's still about the rest of the season isn't as important as what they're going to do in the offseason because it's there's still so much that's incomplete. And the team that's here right now is just almost like, out of necessity rather than desire. So with that said, what do you think the bull, I mean, I I know it's looking forward a little far, but what do you think the bulls are going to do to continue to reshape this roster? Now that they have Vooch, now that they have Zach Levine, we've talked about how, you know, having some athletic wings like Patrick Williams and Troy Brown Jr. uh, helps a lot in terms of building around those two, but what else can they do to make sure that, this new group can compete next season and beyond. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's hard to make predictions and this front office has proven to be pretty unpredictable so mm-hmm. far and they, and they operate um, in relative silence. Uh, so, or as much as they uh, care to operate in. So it's tough to make a, a surefire prediction, but I, I really have to believe they're going to address the point guard position mm-hmm. uh, this off season, just because it, that buzz has been out there uh, really since they took over last off season and, you know, Perhaps just the opportunity didn't come to pass where they felt like um, they had to address it um, or that it was so urgent that they needed to make a, a desperation move um, last offseason. And they kind of went in to this year with starting Kobe and and bringing Stato off the bench and kind of having a couple stopgap options behind them and seeing how it, how it goes. I mean, we've just seen to this point in the season how much of a need that is for this team, even if and I, that doesn't necessarily even mean that I don't think Kobe can be a long term piece, but. Um, to just have a long-term option that's starting point guard spot and to be, you know, not just a, a guy that um, can score, but also a guy that can set the table for others that can organize the offense, especially in late game scenarios, given how much they've struggled there and find a guy that as much as Zach has improved defensively this season, like you want a defensive minded compliment to him uh, at that other guard spot. Um, as we were talking about earlier with kind of surrounding him and Vooch with, uh, with wings that can make their lives easier um, on the defensive end. So, I mean, I'd be shocked if they didn't address that uh, in some capacity. 
Uh, now, could the Lonzo stuff rekindle? Possibly. Um, there are a couple other names out there, you know, from the veteran guys uh, to like, I mean, I, I, again, basing this off nothing, I don't even know what to expect in terms of who's actually going to be available because you have player options, you have the potential for extensions and trades and things like that. But there, there's, a, there's a fairly robust point guard market out there this summer um, yeah. in free agency from, you know, like Devontae Grahams to the Kyle Lowry's to the Goran Dragic's and the Mike Conley's and, you know, Lonzo, obviously you go down the line. Now, obviously with the Vooch trade, the Bulls have dented their cap flexibility a little bit. So you'd have to get creative there. Um, or maybe it's a trade, maybe it's a sign and trade option, but that to me is still the biggest hole on the roster and one that is kind of most pressing to address. Um, so that'd be my best guess in terms of a first move that I could see them prioritizing, but I totally agree with you on the, um, Vooch trade Edward, just because, while I do think the rest of the season is important because they've clearly telegraphed that they mm-hmm. don't want to just, you know, sneak into the play in or be in the lottery here. Like they want to be a playoff team. Like that's the expectation. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to show strides towards that so that, you know, um, that you really have something with the, with the parts of the core that are already in place. And you know, that you can continue to build on top of that, but you want to know that you have something that's going in the right direction in house right now, even if it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, really what this, acquisition will be judged on and what the front office's first major kind of pushing the chips into the middle of the table, what that will be judged on is really next season. Um, because that's the season where you're going to find out for sure. I mean, we think, but find out for sure if Zach Levine is going to be around long-term, what the team is going to look like around him and Vucevic and just kind of what creative things they're able to do this summer, um, to add to what they have already. Um, the deadline, clearly seem to be a move or a situation where it's just, let's get as much talent as we can. We have an opportunity to get an all-star. Um, we're not going to pass that up. And AK said it himself, you know, he said, we're not done right after the deadline. Um, that's almost certainly true. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just see where it goes. I point guard to me has to be at the top of the list and then we'll see what trickles down from there. But certainly no matter how this season plays out the rest of the way, good or bad, it's, it's not a finished product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly, and I I think we'll see even as the season goes on how the rest of the team adjusts to playing with Vooch because a lot of times you're seeing when he does get the ball in the post, uh, guys tend to start crowding him a little bit. They don't they mm-hmm. don't really give him a lot of space to work and to and not necessarily mean that he'll he'll you know go in and, and post up and score. But even to just kind of read the floor and and see maybe you can find someone cutting the basket or, or cutting out to uh, to open to, for a three or anything like that. But they kind of come near him more so, trying to take a defender towards him. That kind of I feel like it bogs down the offense. So they're still trying to learn to do that. And what what have you seen in regards to? I know Billy's mentioned it, but. What else have you seen in regards to them, even from players like Levine and and Temple or whoever might mentioned like, yeah, we were trying to you know figure out certain you know details on how to get more comfortable playing with Luchevich. Um, yeah, I, I think the challenge of it is just he's such a diverse offensive player, right? Like obviously three all three levels, pick and pop, pick and roll, can play make off the short roll, can play make out of the post. Um, he, he could just do so much that you almost start like. <laughs> paralyzed by choice when you play with them. Like there, there are so many different ways to get them involved and definitely in those first, definitely in the Spurs game and even a little bit kind of carrying over into the next two or three, you could tell 
that there was not only an urgency to kind of intentionally get him involved that seemed to be um, kind of taking away from the rest of the offense, but just kind of a clunkiness to it. I think in addition to like getting it uh, into him in the post, just, um, and I noticed this with, with Zach on the roll and, and Kobe and pick and pop scenarios, like just missing Vooch when he was open, Billy mentioned this, but going back and rewatching the games, there were multiple, there were really a handful of um, uh, circumstances of that happening um, in, over the course of the first few games that they played with them. That's gotten a little bit better. And today I thought he was, or today meaning against the Nets, they were certainly playing off him, off of him in a little bit more of an efficient way, um, especially operating out of the post. So I just think to, to maximize his facilitating, which AK talked about being so important without necessarily a true lead guard, like they're going to need to get a lot of that playmaking from their post players. It's just going to have to be a process of figuring out how to move, how to cut off of them. Like you said, Salim, without get it crowding his space or attracting more defenders to him. Cause the whole point of having a guy like Vucevic who can burn you in the post is to draw double teams and then allow him to decision-make out of that. So I've definitely, definitely noticed the growing pains with that and in pick and roll early. Uh, but today, I think even the pick and roll stuff today was a, a significant, significantly better than it had been in the first what was it? Four games of this, um, especially with Zach, you saw him post his uh, highest scoring total since Vooch has been on board. And again, they're not even shooting the ball well yet. So really mm. the next wrinkle to me is when his shot starts falling and when him and Zach start shooting well in tandem, kind of all the extra space that that's going to open up even on top of what we've already seen. And I think from there, you're going to see guys like Patrick, like Kobe, um, even Lowry, like depending on what the lineup configuration is, these guys that um, can benefit a lot from having the table set for them. I think you'll see that even develop at an even more rapid rate to this point. It hasn't been perfect, but I think you, and I actually think you could say this, it has been fairly linear in terms of the progress that they've made actually in, in quality of play, mm. uh, not necessarily the results because there have been four losses in, in five games here. Um, but I, I think you can pretty comfortably say that they have gotten better almost every game in terms of their compete level uh, physicality defensively, obviously, and then offensive execution. Um, I think you really can say that and they just have to keep building on that, especially with the stretch of games coming up. You just have to start piling results at this point. Cause you can forgive a little bit of a lull coming out of the gate against tough competition, a lot of integration processes and whatever. Um, but coming up here, the results have to start piling. Uh, Cause for a second, man, I mean, before this Nets game, they were dangerously close to going 10 games under 500. I mean, how, how crazy would that have been <laughs> given what the, the tone around this team has been um, yeah. for most of the year? Yeah, that's oh, exactly. crazy. Yeah, it's been crazy. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, I mean, we've been talking about what they did at the trade deadline. Were you surprised at, like, just how all in they kind of went at the trade deadline in terms of getting Vooch, in terms of getting uh, Brown and Tice? I mean, it, they were definitely moves that I think caught everyone off guard because, I mean, from what we're used to with past the past front office, like, this was a different trade deadline in the sense that Carnishibus and Eversley were buying talent to improve. And it, it just doesn't happen like that in terms of trades in Chicago for the last like 15, 18 years, however uh, that may be. But like, how surprised were you? And what's your general sense from like talking to like the players and coaches, like, like how they felt like since the trade, like in terms of like morale and like, you know, has it like lifted up anyone? Like, What's your kind of like general consensus from it? I, I was surprised. Uh, I was surprised 
only because we only know as much about this front office as they've kind of showed us to this point. And because the reputation of uh, Artaris Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley and kind of the whole structure they put in place here, because the, the reputation has been thoughtful, deliberate um, decision makers who are patient and take their time with things. When I when they came into the year billing it as an evaluation year, I did initially kind of envision it as a full season undertaking. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously, once it actually plays out and you have a 40 game sample size on guys, you can make your decisions. And they did. And um, I think in the moment, I, I like the trade and still do. So I don't think you could say that they've, you know, that they were rash necessarily. Um, it was, it was a heavy draft, uh, draft investment, uh, in terms of picks. But if you looked at kind of the rumors and the buzz around Vooch, first of all, I mean, that's another surprising thing about it is it didn't even look like Vucevic was going to get traded by the magic, even though mm-hmm. there were certainly were teams interested until the day of the deadline. And at least my, my read on it was that the asking price was going to be more than two first round picks. Um, obviously Wendell Carter Jr. kind of operates as a third because he's a prospect with high upside that maybe the magic, um, are enamored with. So I, I was surprised in that respect, uh, the follow-up moves for Brown and Tice, uh, and Javante Green, I guess you could lump in there too. It surprised me only because they were kind of under the radar. Um, but in terms of kind of asset management or whatever technical term you want to use there, I thought those were um, as good at the Vooch deal, if not better, just because of what you gave up and what you get back. Um, they got a guy in Tice who, you know, started 17 playoff games last year. And it's just a really productive, smart player that adds a lot defensively. And Troy Brown Jr., um, an intriguing prospect for all the reasons that we talked about earlier. So the move, those moves were surprising just because I they weren't even on my radar. Um, and then they kind of popped up as the day went on. And then in terms of the vibe, I mean, Billy doesn't let on a ton. I mean, he's he's just about winning. I mean, that's that's just the type of coach that he is. So I would imagine uh, he was obviously consulted about the move um, and was happy with it because it puts them in that direction. It gave him, uh, like we were talking about, more vets to work with. Um, and I think once wins start piling up here, if they do, um, you'll you'll be able to see that a little bit more. Uh, and in terms of players, I mean, there's nuance to all this stuff. Uh, like a guy like Kobe, who we talked to the other day, did express kind of disappointment or sadness in saying goodbye to guys that he had formed friendships with and Wendell Carter Jr., uh, Gafford, uh, even Chandler Hutchison, I would imagine. Like all of these guys are it's a, it's a close knit group. And it was a locker room that for all the questions that surrounded the encore product, it was a locker room that to me always seemed pretty tight knit and that everybody got along pretty well. So I'm sure it was hard to say goodbye to those guys that you kind of grow up in the league with. Uh, Patrick even said to us, you know, it's just kind of a reminder uh, how much of a business the NBA is. Um, certainly that's true, but it, it, there's definitely a level of buzz and optimism when you just hear guys talking about playing with another all-star, especially of the skill set that Vooch has. And then the most important guy in all this, the most important player in all this, Zach Levine, was thrilled. I mean, mm-hmm. I just remember we talked to him for 10 or 15 minutes the day after the Vooch trade, and he was just noticeably, even over Zoom, you could tell that he was noticeably loose and happy with it and excited to get to play with him. They share an agency, so they had a relationship beforehand. They were on um, Team Durant at the All-Star game. So they obviously knew and liked each other. And, you know, if we see that trade and they're instantly like, Oh my God, what a perfect offensive pairing. Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic would be certainly Zach Levine and Nikola yeah. Vucevic are thinking <laughs> the same thing. Um, and it's two guys that uh, haven't done a lot of winning in their career, not necessarily by fault of their own. They've just been in not ideal circumstances. So Zach, the most important guy in this entire equation seemed to me to be thrilled while again, also obviously 
thanking all of his old teammates and showing appreciation for them. So I, there was certainly a jolt of energy. I think it was dampened a little bit by not only the fact that you go on a losing streak, but also the fact that you're on the road and playing tough teams and facing hard questions and um, facing hard practices and, and integrating new, uh, the new play style and, and integrating the new guys into the playbook and things like that. I think that obviously could put a strain on things, not to mention there were injuries over the course of that, uh, especially with Zach. I think he was really frustrated as that ankle sprain hampered him. Um, it seems like he might be coming out the other side of that now. So we'll see how that develops. Mm. But uh, the, the trade itself certainly put a jolt of energy into the locker room. That was my read on it. Um, and today, you know, guys seemed um, to be pretty optimistic, pretty hopeful that you, you know, you could say all you want that you're making steps of progress, but until you get the results, it's hard to really prove it. Um, now they have one result and um, then you can build on it. Um, so yeah, to me, it was all positive vibes. Um, it, it, it was in danger of going the other direction for a few seconds there. And now they've got a chance to kind of course correct, uh, yeah. a little bit. So once the wins start piling up, if they, again, if they do, um, and if they can get back into the playoff race a little bit here, cause that's really what everyone in the locker room's mind has been on for a young team that hasn't done a lot of winning in a lot of their careers, um, that could only add to it. Just curious, as far as Billy Donovan's concerned, do you think it's fair to criticize him in terms of his rotations? I know we've talked about the different rotations that he's going with, and even with some of the closing lineups that he goes with uh, at certain times. Do, do you think that's fair game, or do you think this season being the – not obviously they're trying to win, but it's also been kind of a season of – trying to learn what some of these guys are. So maybe that gives him some kind of leeway. Uh, yeah. I think, we, I think fans and, and us, obviously you got to give him a, a little bit of a leash, especially towards the beginning of the year. Cause he was working with and basically an entirely inherited roster. Um, and I, I'm willing to give him a little bit of a leash in the post deadline wake, just because it's so many new players and it's so many guys to figure out and see how combinations work together. Uh, and, you know, we talked about the temple thing earlier, like they haven't necessarily been whole with him and Kobe and Zach coming in and out of the lineup. Like I'm not willing to like what, guys that he's playing versus not playing. I'm not going to levy hardline criticisms until we see exactly who, who those guys are. And once the experimental phase is kind of over with um, I guess maybe it'll never end, but once there's just a little bit more of a sample size, I will say, I mean, but you can criticize on a game by game basis. I mean, like the jazz game, for example, uh, I can't, I, the names are escaping me now because I don't have it in front of me, but I think there was a stretch where he probably just waited a minute or two too long to get Zach and Booch back in the game. By the time they got to the three minute mark of the jazz game, it had kind of fallen back out of their reach where they were um, kind of chipping their way back into it. Like there were little things like that. Even Booch today in the Nets game, I, I don't think they brought him back in the fourth quarter until about the five minute mark. Um, little things like that. I mean, obviously uh, I'm a, I'm a fan of Troy Brown Jr.'s game. I'm a fan of his potential. Like you would like on a team that's so lacking for wing and perimeter defense. Like it's kind of a little confusing why he hasn't been on the floor more for the last couple games. But at the same time, he's a 21 year old guy who's learning a new system. Like I get it from Billy's perspective. If you want to go more vet heavy there. Um, I know there was buzz like when uh, Ryan Archdiakono was firmly in the rotation, kind of why is he getting so many minutes, but as the last couple of games have kind of showed other than the Denzel thing today, like these rotations are fluid and they're a little bit matchup based. The Lowry at the three, again, you scratch your head. So, I mean, there, there are little things that kind of pile up, 
Um, I think it's also fair to question if the defensive struggles continue and maybe they've, they're getting a little bit better because they've gotten a little bit better over the last few games. I think it's fair to question defensively um, and with the big blown fourth quarter leads. Like a lot of that is having a young team, but some of that falls on the coach too. Billy has taken accountability for a lot of those things. So I don't think he would say that he deserves to not be held accountable for any of it. Um, but, you know, I, it's understandable why he gets a little bit of a leash and we'll see how the rotations level out here and how this team levels out. Because again, hypothetically on paper, it should be a much more potent offensive team. and It should be a much more just kind of responsible veteran team. Um, but no, I mean, cer- certainly he, you know, he can get the smoke too, to a degree um, on a game by game basis. Um, so I, I guess we'll just see how it goes, but in terms, in terms of the rotations, I just, until he gets a little bit more time and the team gets a little bit more time to gel together. And we actually see who the nine or 10 guys that are in there every night, because the last few games, it's been kind of a rotating cast of characters. Uh, I, I just haven't even got what the firm takeaways of what this team is going to be post deadline yet. Uh, maybe in a couple more games, we will. I, yeah, I, I think a- that. I just wanted to say that uh, I think it's funny sometimes with the defensive criticism and he has a lineup of like Denzel, Sato, Larry, Zach. It's like, okay, well, you're you're putting bad defenders out there and then you're wondering why the team is playing bad defense. So that's to me, that's like a peculiar thing for him to criticize. It's like, okay, well, don't play those guys together. Yeah. Yeah. And there there are limits to the roster as well. And it's inherited and. You know, they, they did start to paint it in its own image at the deadline, but they probably weren't able to do all the things that they would have ideally liked to do. So, yeah, no, but I, I definitely agree with you. Some of the lineups, especially at the beginnings of fourth quarters, I've kind of found myself raising my eyebrows at times. And a lot of times that can be when the game slips away for them. So I still don't know how I feel, even though it hasn't been an abomination, like you said, I still don't know how I feel about Lowry at the three and just having like the the jumbo big lineup. Like, I'm just not sure how I feel about that one. Kind of reminds me of, like, uh, it was, like, what, three or four years ago when we had, like, Nico, Bobby, and was it it Robin? We were playing, like, a really big lineup, and I think everyone said it. Noah, Powell, and Nico. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Okay, there we go. The jumbo lineup. Tibbs Tibbs would play Nico at the three because he wanted to get him minutes, and then obviously – Noah was already out of position because he should be in the center, but he was playing power forward because of Powell. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, okay. That one, I did not like that. And that, this kind of gives me similar vibes. But, hey, I mean, if it's not completely killing the team, I mean, hey. Uh, let, let me get your thoughts on the next five games. I mean, they, they can't it, – it's a weird schedule because they were on the road for four games, lost that uh, road trip, come back home – early tip against Brooklyn, and now their next five games are back on the road. Uh, Indiana, Toronto, Atlanta, Minnesota, Memphis. But different because these are all winnable games, I, I would think, right? So, I mean, how do you how do you think they can do over these next uh, this next stretch of games? And then even then, after that, uh, they get Orlando at home, Memphis at home, uh, Cleveland at home, at Boston, at Cleveland. I mean, there's a lot of winnable games coming up now. So, uh, how do you think they're going to do? Like we're talking about like building up some wins. We're talking about how the team is looking better. There's a chance now to make up some ground. Yeah. I could never make a prediction how I think they're going to do just because this <laughs> team is, <laughs> they, they, they're so unpredictable to me on a game by game basis. You just don't know which one is going to show up uh, to a degree, especially with all these new guys, but it, it is a stretch that is set up for them 
to make up the ground that they need to make up after, again, an understandable little bit of a lull here, given all the extenuating circumstances post-deadline. It's so well set up for them. It's so funny to think about Thad Young back on February 24th. This is before the second half schedule was made public or even really after uh, before it had leaked. Um, it was shoot around before a matchup with the Timberwolves, I believe. And we were talking to Thad and asking him kind of what his impressions of the schedule was um, because, you know, you know that these guys have all seen it uh, a couple days in advance or whatever. And he said that he wasn't sure if it was made public yet, but he had already circled on his calendar, like this April stretch right here, where again, this isn't a team that can afford to underestimate teams as we've obviously seen, but he circled it as a, these are teams in our stratosphere in our area of the Eastern conference, or if it's a Western conference team, it's a team that's either lesser than us or within a couple games of us having similar records to kind of show what we're made of, you know, a, a stretch like when you face the Spurs warriors with Steph um, sons and jazz back to back to back, it can show you what you don't have or what you're missing. But then a stretch like this, where you have winnable games that are stacked on uh, stacked on top of each other, it could show you what you do have um, mm-hmm. is the best way I can think of putting it. Um, so again, I can't hazard a guess as to, as to how they'll do. I, just, I really can't, but I know that it is, for this season, for the playoff hopes of this season, it's a pretty make or break stretch because they've now put themselves or they've, you know, unfortunately found themselves in a situation where at eight games under 500, they are still in the 10th spot, but the hold on it is a little bit more tenuous than it was, uh, you know, around the all-star break or even the first couple games after it. And as much as they still are four or five games from jumping into the middle to lower rung um, of the top eight seeds in the East, it's still a little bit of a ways to climb. And we know that even after this April stretch, it gets tough again, especially the last four or five games of the season. Um, they are, they, they are not a team that has the benefit of having a cakewalk schedule to the rest of the, for the rest of the season. They have to take advantage of the games that are kind of, you know, could hang in the balance um, or go either way. Um, and then, you know, the games that aren't like there's a game against the bucks in there in the April slate, um, the Hornets are above 500, but have obviously been dealing with injuries and maybe that's a totally different matchup now than it was before. But I, I just would like to see them start stealing a game or two against these teams that are well above 500. Obviously they get one against the Nets today. It's not necessarily the Nets Nets. Um, mm-hmm. It's still a good win. It's not a win that you could sniff at, but I, I would like to see them steal one of these games, like these Utah Phoenix games where you could talk about them competing and bringing it down to the wire and how that is a positive sign given where this team is at in the stage of team building and, and the rebuild. Um, or the retool, I guess we could call it at this point. Hmm. But I would like to see them steal uh, a game or two of those um, if we're going to take them seriously as a team that could actually get through the plan and maybe get to the first round of the playoffs um, or something like that. And, and again, if you can do that, if you can show that type of meaningful progress, you go into the offseason with a clear vision of what you have and what you need to bring in, and you probably just feel a little bit more optimistic uh, about what you have than, than they do right now. Hmm. Yeah. I guess it'll be interesting not only if they miss the playoffs. I mean, maybe they get lucky and and end up with one of those top four picks. But at the same time, again, I wonder where AK's mindset will be with Billy because AK obviously expects playoffs. And even if, if they're not able to take advantage of that softer part of the schedule and, and start racking up some wins there, you wonder if Billy might get some scrutiny at that point as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll, it'll be interesting. Again, I, it's not because they're not finished yet and because the roster isn't a finished product. It's not 
doomsday scenario if they don't make the playoffs, but it's act like it wouldn't be extremely disappointing based on kind of the implicit expectations of all the deadline moves. It w- would be naive. I mean, it would certainly be um, a disappointment. And you, like you said, to not have the pick unless it falls into the top four, especially if you're in that, like, which is where they are now in that eight to 10 range where you're a one in five chance. That's just not a uh, very high likelihood. They made a jump last year. Um, and that, that kind of thing just doesn't happen that often as the polls have seen, I think their jump last year was, the first time that they'd moved up in the lottery from where their pre-lottery standing was since uh, yeah. Rose. So it, it just yeah. doesn't happen that often. Um, you'd have to get really, really, really lucky. Um, do you guys have a guy, if they were in the top four, that you would want well, them to go after? So obviously Kate is number one, but Suggs would be, like, perfect. Yeah, yeah. he would be perfect. <laughs> but, like, I, I wouldn't turn, like, sniff my nose away at, like, Kuminga. I mean, that, hmm. that would be ideal. Like, just imagine having Kaminga and Pat at the three and four for, like, the next ten years. That could be, like, just absolutely devastating uh, for opposing teams trying to match up with that tandem at the three and four. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, outside of that, I know people are, like, oh, is it Jalen Green, I think, right? Um, yeah, I think maybe he's gotten comparisons to Zach, though. I think they're probably a similar type of players. Might be a little redundant before the before the Vooch trade. If the season turns south, I always kind of had the back uh, the corner of my eye on Evan Mobley just because he's such yeah. a, mm-hmm. such a unique, awesome player. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Kamingo, Suggs, Cade, all guys that would just be outrageously good fits on this team. But again, you can't think like that because it's no if, exactly. It's if you're in a position too. to do that, it's a huge <laughs> risk. It's a huge, huge risk. Yeah, I would I wouldn't mind. Uh, I wouldn't mind Mobley, honestly. I mean, if uh, in the event that things go south and that happens, like, I mean, play him as a backup for a few years under Vooch, and then maybe he's, like, ready after that. I mean, that'd be an option. Uh, I I really do like – I think Suggs is just, like, that classic, competitive, tough two-way guard. I mean, you see the plays he's making against uh, UCLA in that that game, and it's just – like stuff like that translates that effort, that energy on both sides of the ball. And you always hear like we always talk about intangibles. Like we talked about it a lot with Kirk Heinrich, but I feel like the stuff like that with Suggs is just it's almost like next level. Right. So uh would love him. And obviously, Kate is number one and Kaminga and Pat Will, as Salim said, would be. I mean, that, they'd be phenomenal together, but yeah, I I don't want to I don't want to think like that because then it's just bad yeah, juju, and, man. <laughs> and, and Rob, to your point, like you you talk about the odds of getting like when is the last time a team back to back, yeah, you know when uh, went from being not a bottom three team to jumping up like you said to the to the top three. Yeah, the, the difference is they've now. The difference is they've now smoothed the lottery odds to oh, like de- a little bit more likely. Definitely, so, but, definitely. But again, they, more, these are these are small things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is more linear, as uh, Stefan No likes to mention. But um, yeah, it just it's hard for me to grasp my head around grasp my head around getting that lucky <laughs> <laughs> that that we would be able to add. Let's just imagine like a having Zach and Vooch, who are probably at the same timeline we can win like be a playoff team and then having pat and suggs or pat and kaminga or having forbid pat and cade um those future guys to then have that ability to have say hey man the next 
10 years for the Bulls, we're going to be okay. We're going to constantly have a team that could maybe be a playoff team and just keep competing and competing. That's just like unheard of for me as a Bulls fan to think that we could have that like type of a, uh, of a roster because we've mm-hmm. outside of the nineties Bulls, right. That's when we had Jordan, who was a once in a generation player that you're likely to never get again. Um, yeah, that's not, that's not been what the Bulls have been the last 20, 30 years. So yeah, yeah. that would be something, um, unreal and, and and something that you know it's hard to fathom at this point i wonder what the uh pick protections are on it if the bulls do like land in the top four i mean i it would push it out but i wonder like how far out that goes and what the protections are like after that yeah i don't i i actually i don't know for sure so i sh- i shouldn't even really say but i I would assume it would be unprotected in 2022, but again, I'm not a hundred percent on that. So that's not, that's not reporting or anything like that, but that would, that would just be my assumption. Yeah. So I saw, um, Bulls blogger, he had posted a link on the protection. So I thought it was like that, uh, Rob, the way you said, uh, 2022 would be unprotected, but I guess the top four protections move from 22 to 20, like 2022 to 2024. Mm. Because we because you can't get so twenty so if we get this pick next season will be twenty top four protected and obviously twenty three we would keep because obviously you can't trade back to back picks so then twenty four would go into top four protection something like that. Gotcha. Yeah, I got I got to do some digging on that. Yeah, that, yeah. Again, the Bulls' best case scenario would be that not mattering <laughs> at all, and they, they yeah. flip it around here, and they are a a competitive lower rung playoff team that would be the bulls ideal scenario but uh you know you always got to have it in the back of your mind yeah absolutely open for it rob thank you so much for uh joining us today on bulls gold always appreciate having you uh let our listeners know where they can follow you at as all i mean they've heard you before so i mean sure they read your stuff but always good reminder and uh definitely check out uh your 17 observations that you just dropped uh, after the uh, game from the brooklyn Nets game really good read yeah. but uh yeah yeah, I got those after every game uh, over at NBCSportsChicago.com. Uh, on Twitter, it's at Rob underscore Shafe. Uh, we also have the Bulls Talk podcast uh, on our podcast feed um, twice a week. Me, Jason Goff, Casey Johnson, uh, Tony Gill sporadically, um, you know, on every Tuesday and Friday. Uh, we chop it up about what's new with the Bulls. We have uh, pretty good guests on sporadically. We recently had uh, or Casey had Brian Scalabrini and uh, Josh Robbins, uh, the Orlando Magic athletic beat writer. Great, great, um, great reporter, Josh, uh, over to talk about the Bulls deadline acquisitions. Um, so, yeah, those would be the places to to find me. And thank you guys for having me. It's always a pleasure to come on. Thank you so much, Rob. Always great insight. Follow Rob on Twitter. Always making sense of the Bulls and the most like perfect way possible salim any uh final thoughts before we wrap up man yeah i'm hoping we can see some continuous uh cohesion of this team and they can try to you know figure out how to play with uh vooch and get everything going like that and it'll be interesting as far as the cure for the turnovers maybe slowing it down is the cure because you've had what back-to-back games here now with single digit turnovers i believe so that that's really nice to see and I don't know, maybe that's also because, you know, Kobe has been out of the lineup in and out. Mm. And I think Zach was also in and out too, obviously. So 
uh, those Zach and Kobe have been our highest turnover uh, culprits. But like I said, I think maybe just like I said, slowing it down as is maybe helping the team not you know be as careless with the ball. So hopefully that trend continues as well. Yeah, absolutely. And like we were talking about before, I just want to see the Bulls take advantage of this stretch. Like this is a, this is a good opportunity to cover some ground. I mean, there's a lot of winnable games coming up. So if the Bulls can do that, they'll put themselves in a position to really clinch the playing game and possibly even more. Who knows? So let's see if the Bulls can actually just uh, get these wins and we don't have to worry about enough uh, losing streak. But that wraps up today's Bulls Gold. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Bulls Gold. You can follow me on Twitter at Edward Schuler Jr. You can follow Salim on Twitter at Jordan Dynasty. And you can also check us out our past shows on Spotify, on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, you can find us right here on Nothing But Net Radio every Tuesday morning, 9, 8 Central. So for Salim Surawala, I'm Edward Schuler. This has been Bulls Gold, and we will catch you next time, Bulls fans.